0: As we continue on in our summer series, the stories that we tell this morning, Pastor Kevin's going to be uh, speaking from the eighth book of the Bible, the book of Ruth, about the story of Naomi. And I would encourage you to turn with me to page 187 in your pew Bibles or to the first chapter of the book of Ruth as we read that this morning. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, Went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay... I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word for us.
1: In a few moments, I'll uh, be sharing from this story of uh, Naomi. Uh, But before we get to that, um, I want to invite Dave and Terry fast to come up. They're going to be sharing a bit of their story. Um, As uh, Dave a few weeks ago reached out and said, you know, we'd love to share how God's working in our life and uh, over this last year. Um, If you're new to Cornerstone, you may not know that um, Dave and Terry's son, Darren, was diagnosed with cancer last May and uh, and passed away uh, at the end of November uh, of uh, 2016 and so they've been on a hard deep road of grief and I uh, want to share how God's been leading them I have we just have so much love and respect for you thank you for your courage and for your willingness to share the comfort that that God has brought the journey that you're on and so we're ready to learn and and, and walk with you even in these moments. Thank
2: you. There. Um, thanks. We're, kind, we're excited to be here. Of course, always, obviously a little bit nervous as well, because this isn't something too easy to do to, to share at this kind of level, but we felt it was necessary. Uh, you've been a great supporting church group, and we just wanted to continue to be open with uh, our lives and our journey uh, that's taken us, I guess. From um, Der- Darren's diagnosis about 15 months ago, and he passed away eight months ago. So, um, I'm not really gonna—we're not really gonna discuss or, or go too much over the, um, the the six months that that Darren was ill. I think that was very well blogged and noted on on the on our blog that Terry Terry put a lot of effort into and updating. And uh, but mostly, maybe we'll share from from then on uh, more or less uh, the grieving process. Process and how God's been walking alongside us uh, through this time, helping us bring peace and comfort. Uh, it, it's definitely a strange, unwanted journey in a person's life. It's not anybody chooses to go through this, but uh, when it happens, we have to uh, look to our God and, and uh, get strength to go forward. I don't know if anybody read, but uh, appropriately this morning's even uh, our daily bread. There was a um, a woman that was, that was the story was about being diagnosed uh, with cancer and uh, how how the hope is that you're going from fear to faith and uh and that's what you have to do the story there was about habakkuk and you have to rejoice in god and um let him be your strength
3: as you may or may not have heard us say um a few times in the past this is uh this journey we're on is definitely not something we can really describe in words um Unless you've walked this yourself, it's completely unimaginable, it's indescribable, it's not really comprehensible, it it is hard to put into words. I know that those of you who have walked this, and I know that there are a few of you out there, um, know what I'm talking about. So what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in a place that is so foreign and so unknown? Who do you go see? Where do you go when you're in such a confused state of mind and body? Um, And it is true, it's physically and mentally your body goes through quite a traumatic process. That's really the only way we can put it for me or for us. um, The only thing to do was to cling to God, to cling to the solid rock of our hope and strength, Jesus Christ. And that's what Aaron did, and that's what we have to do too. Um, And his living word, the Bible. There is so much hope and peace and comfort in God's word, of course, Um, there's been much crying out in prayer and anguish, um, but also in praiseworthy thankfulness because we still have so much to be thankful for. Um, God does meet us where we are. He wants us to come to him wherever we are at.
2: So where, where are we at? Where were we at? Uh, in the early days, you know, after Darren's funeral, we were definitely in a, quite a, a foggy place. It was, we were sluggish, bewildered, um, On the one hand, it was was kind of strange, I almost felt a fleeting sense of of relief, kind of now at least knowing exactly how and when Darren's story, at least here on earth, was going to play out. Um, It was a a relief that the painful days in the hospital didn't agonizingly go on and on. But then there was also the disbelief, the the like, really? Did this really just happen to our family? This is final. This, This really hurts. Uh, Darren's fight, and his pain is over, but where do we go now to get help for our pain? No one directed us to a clinic or a treatment plan for grief, and it was deep. We seemingly were a little bit left on our own there in the hospital, we felt like, and after we got home to, to navigate through this really strange strange journey, strange train. However, God knew where we were at and what our needs were, and so he really met us in, in kind of like three broad areas that we wanted to discuss by, his, by word, both uh, his word and, and through many books that people shared with us, and also community, uh, people that, that we had to connect with to, to really feel his love and uh, that were such a strong support. And for us too, song. Song is very deep and meaningful to us. So um, songs plays a special
3: part in our hearts. So in regards to word, um, we did receive quite a few books um, on comfort and sorrow, (laughs) grieving, and Um, healing—not our typical topics of interest. I'm not really a reader of how-to books, um, but in this case, we couldn't get enough of these. We couldn't—we couldn't get them, and we couldn't get through them fast enough. We were anxious to get some help for some help in navigation um, through this awkward and strange and really difficult time in our lives.
2: One of the books given to us was called uh, Psalms of Lament. It was given to uh, us by uh, my sister-in-law, Marnie. Uh, My brother and sister-in-law, they lost a child after three days old. Um, It's written by Anne Weems. Uh, She's a poet and liturgist and worship leader in a Presbyterian church, and she does a lot of writing. And uh, she experienced uh, the loss of losing her son as well at a senseless murder on the night of this... 21st birthday and this is one of the psalms that really spoke to us from her from her book psalm number three how large a cup of tears must i drink O god how much is enough must my cup grow and overflow even as i drink from it until it becomes as deep as a well and i can't swallow anymore god you forget forget your servant do you mistake me for some other who did not serve you or love you or yearn you yearn for you that you could snatch from me this precious treasure, this child who spent his life loving you. What kind of cruel judgment is this? Don't you want the unbelievers to see that you, would bless, that you bless your own? Will I weep all the days of my life? Will you forget me forever? Remember me, O God. Remember your promise to me to wipe away my tears, come into my pain, that I may once more praise your name in the streets of the city. Give me hope, O God. Come to this steadfast love to meet me. Then I will sing loud psalms of praise to my God, who does not forget me. I will sing loud psalms of praise in the morning light, and all who hear will join in with joyful voices, for our God does not forget. Just a little bit relevant to our situation. That's why this one spoke quite loudly to me. And the nice thing about this book, too, was it it wasn't like one of these others. You see, you know, it's 10 steps to the grieving process. Like, I don't really believe there are 10 steps you need to follow. Uh, it's just something comforting that you, you read and, and you know that this author really got it. And they can identify with you and sometimes put into words what, what we're feeling, but we, we have trouble putting it into words. So it was the appreciation of knowing somebody else really gets it and knows what we're feeling uh, and understood the depth of grief and confusion for us at least at that time.
3: Then in regards to um, people or community, we initially went, my, we had a lot of love and support from our church community, family, friends, everywhere, far and wide. I can't tell you how many um, people s- reached out to us during that time. Um, but after the funeral, we initially went to a cancer-related support group called through Wellspring Niagara. Um, to begin looking for others in our situation that really got it, because there is just something about being surrounded by others that have gone through or are going through um, a similar experience that resonates louder and is more meaningful and comforting than reading or hearing something from someone who hasn't. Then at that particular meeting, we learned of a faith-based support group called Grief Share um, that was just about to start a winter session the following Monday at Central Community Church on Scott Street in St. Catharines. Um, this program was, looked very comprehensive. It had a well-thought-out structure to the approach of tackling the many facets of this new and strange journey we found ourselves on. Um, the group was led by a couple that lost their 16-year-old daughter um, in an accident on a mission trip. So no doubt they definitely understood the depth and breadth of our grief situation. Um, even though a cancer story and accident have different aspects um, to the experience, there were enough similarities in such challenging situations that a very true sense of understanding and compassion um, could really be felt. Many of the other participants also had cancer-related stories. It's such a prevalent disease nowadays, most commonly the loss of a spouse, which has such an intense and emotional dynamic attached to it too. But Darren definitely had the shortest bout with cancer at six months, and he was also the youngest in age to have died from it, um, at least from those in our group. So we were definitely surrounded by a group that understood um, the depth and loss, depth of loss and grief we were experiencing. So this structured program was really a great place to begin down this long road of healing and understanding. And as we found it, the name Grief Share was very appropriately named because for us um, it, is, it was and still is the process of sharing our grief that brings a big element of peace and comfort and leads towards healing. Um, I'll just also mention that our son Colin lives in London and he, is going to be, he plans to attend this Grief Share program. It's offered in a church there, so he'll be starting that in September as well.
2: Yeah, it's kind of intern- or nationwide anyway. There, it comes with a, a workbook, which might seem like overly strict, but it's, it's not really because you can do it or you, you don't have to do it. But it's nice to see that they really tackle all the real, the real issues that you're going to be going through. And so they every there's 13 weeks and they have a video and then they uh, have a group discussion and homework if you want to go through it deeper. So it's really, uh, really helpful to have that. It's a great reference, and I recall one of my first dilemmas, though, <laughs> going there. You know, you often hear the word healing and uh, used in context with, with, with this grief journey, and, and at the time, I had to think, really, like, healing? Really? What? Like, how can there be true healing from an experience like this? Is, is it possible? Things can't be the same as before, because what was lost can't be restored. There's a missing member in our family. He'll always be missed. There's a hole. A hole in our family unit that just can't be patched up. So, what does healing mean or look for us? Uh, look like for us? How long will it take? These are all the type of questions that run through your head at a time like this, and for which that kind of a group and setting is a perfect soundboard. Um, so, yes, things will never be the same as before. Healing doesn't and cannot imply full restoration to the previous state that we were in. in uh, at least in our case. It's more of a kind of like a chronic condition where, where the emotions, our emotions, they'll be triggered by some situation or thought. So so healing takes on more of the form of, of we're moving forward and we're not stuck. Being able to function and live life well, continue to live life well. Some people that haven't experienced loss like this before will sometimes uh, think or even ask uh, if we've moved on. But, you know, it's not really the case of of moving on because... Moving on has, has more of a sense of, of leaving behind, which, which we're not doing. You can't leave this behind. It's more moving forward. If you've ever experienced uh, something like this, yeah, you can't leave it behind. It's forever changed you, and we're going to be moving forward, but in an, a new normal sort of way. The the intensity and feelings of our emotions are going to lessen over time, but there's still a deep scar that that's there, and it'll occasionally just erupt into some kind of emotional response when we're triggered by some, some situation or thought. For me, triggers are our, our music when I'm traveling alone or um, yesterday there was a movie on and it just sent triggers, you know, and it's got certain elements to it that remind you of your situation and just, yeah, the tears come back and the emotions come back. There's, there's no getting around that. We also learned, though, that it, it's a concept which makes sense now, but I didn't think before that pain... And joy can actually coexist at the same time. It kind of seems odd when you first hear it. Yet if you think about it, in the case of grieving over a loved one, it makes sense. There is a lot of pain in sometimes remembering uh, your missing loved one. But remembering is is what's needed and necessary to bring back the joy of all the experiences you had with that loved one. So kind of a note (laughs) to some of you that may not have lost somebody close to you before. I know I was like this before. Um, it, it's completely okay to bring up Darren's name in conversation. You know, because you might think that by bringing up his name, you're, you're going to be reminding us uh, and bringing sorrow back to us because uh, the emotion's back because you mentioned his name and you're reminding us of him. But don't worry, we're thinking of him a lot more than you would probably ever think about or, or imagine. So you're not reminding us of him. In, in fact, you're probably almost uh, making us feel better that he's not forgotten in your eyes. So... Yeah, bringing up his name is, is is not a bad thing.
3: Another benefit of connecting with the sport group was getting um, references to, to literature books that maybe uh, additionally be helpful to us. Um, one book that our leader referred us to was called The Ben Ripple. Um, she said it may be helpful, but it might be a bit too soon for us to consider reading it. Primarily because it was a story really similar to ours. But that was a challenge that made us want to read it all the more. Why did I want to read the story that was so similar to ours? I think it was basically because, again, finding and knowing that others have experienced a similar journey just has some unique form of comfort associated with it. It's difficult to explain, but there is this need or desire to find others and know that we are not alone. There are others that know exactly what it is like in this strange phase of life that we now find ourselves in. This I would highly recommend anybody want to read this. It's a boring story about an 18-year-old boy um, named Ben from Stratford. He's the son of a pastor who was just getting ready to graduate from high school and move on to university when he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukemia. He battled it only one year. He died after his, a year and a week after his initial diagnosis at age 19. But he was a strong Christian, just like Darren, and throughout his life, even in his den, death, Ben's Christ-like attitude became an inspiration for many around the world who followed uh, their blog. I um, managed to receive three signed copies of this, uh, so I gave one each to Colin and Leah and the kids, and we have one. Um, and I look forward to meeting this mom someday.
2: Yeah, she's now there living in London, so we hope to meet him someday. And this book actually is one of the reasons why that prompted me to want to, want to share With you this morning, and even even before uh, Kevin was asking for people to share, because um, in in this book there's there's a sermon that Ben Ben gave to his church ten days before he passed away, and yeah, when I read it, it was just so much similar, something that Darren would have written and wanted to say, and so I wanted to share that with you because I thought he didn't he didn't get a chance to, but I think this is what he would have said almost the same thing as Ben wrote. Uh, so yeah, let me, let me read what he wrote. I'll try to shorten it up a little bit. But um, these are the words from Ben, but really it, it, they would have, could have come just from Darren. Good morning. It's good to be here and to see everyone here again. It's been quite a long time, and to be honest, I didn't know if the day would come again, but it, it's been good to be back finally. I'm not going to be very long this morning because I'm kind of weak. I have a pounding headache, and I'm a little nauseous, to be honest with you. I don't want to have this morning focus on me at all. In fact, I was quite hesitant to even do this because I thought that by me coming up here, it would focus this whole past year on me, and that's the exact opposite of what I want. This whole past year has been about God entirely and his ultimate plan and purpose for my life and everyone's. The first thing I want to say is thank you. Thank you for all your support and prayer over the past year. I'm positive they went a long way in allowing me to keep my sanity throughout months in hospitals and ups and downs and everything. The power of prayer can't be matched at all. Thank you very much for that. And same goes for this congregation, absolutely. Secondly, I want to talk a little bit about suffering. I think I've learned a thing or two about suffering over these past 12 months, and, and I wonder what has been accomplished for God's ultimate will through my suffering. If it had just been a normal year, then life would have continued as normal. But how many opportunities for God would have been missed if I hadn't endured that? I've learned this past year that it is possible to suffer and go through terrible circumstances with a smile on your face and not have to ask the question, why? Or why me? God's plan is bigger than all of us. His plans always work out perfectly according to His will. So why should we waste our time asking why, when instead we can sit back and just say, wow, I can keep a smile on my face. I've learned that suffering isn't a punishment from God or a curse from Satan. Instead, I've learned that my suffering is a rare opportunity from God to showcase how awesome he really is. While battling leukemia, I've also learned that suffering has a way of connecting people, sometimes in weird circumstances, but the result is usually for the better. These past 12 months, I've met and been helped by many, many incredible people. Many do not have a relationship with God. I guess I won't really know fully until... Eternity, what impact my story may have had on them. But if I was able to see a few of those people when I get to heaven or when they get to heaven, just think of how exciting that is. My suffering has also connected me to God in ways that only after living through this kind of circumstance would you be able to understand. I hope that somehow through my suffering you have been able to connect to God in a deeper way too. A cool thought I just had the other day while running through this for the final time was that maybe my my temporary suffering here on earth has brought others to God, ultimately preventing them from eternal suffering in hell. That's just a cool thought I had yesterday. And finally, to sum up this whole suffering thing, I read a quote a quote a few weeks ago, and here it is. Our healing begins when we participate in the suffering of God, when we don't avoid it, but enter into it. And in the process, entering into the life of God, when we see our pain not as separating us, but connecting us to our maker... Finally, I want to talk about death. I wonder if if you have ever really thought about death, like not just a casual crossing your mind or passing thought. Everyone's done that. I mean, really, really thought about death, because I have a little bit. I don't mean to brag or sound proud or be boastful, but I'm not afraid to die at all. I'm not worried about my death. I'm not afraid because I'm a Christian. I know that death just means I move from this life on to an eternal party in heaven. I can say that 100% honestly, that I am not scared to die. But I'm very excited, actually, just to think that there will be no pain or suffering, just partying and eternal happiness. My name is written down in heaven. Think about that. In the book of eternal life. If that's not a cool mental image, I don't know what is. Psalm 139.16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, meaning that God was in charge from the day I was born and is equally in charge until that day I die, and he takes me home. So I don't have to be worried or afraid at all. I just have to trust him. So yeah, God wants us to have a long life on earth and enjoy ourselves. But just think how incredible eternity will be. We as Christians should not be scared of death. Instead, we should look forward with hope to an amazing eternal life in heaven. Ultimately, it comes down to our relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I guess the bottom line and big question is, are you just a religious person or do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Is your name written down in the book of eternal life? If not, you should definitely take some time out of your day to think about how, how awesome eternity can and will be if it's spent with God in heaven. Then I can see you there, and we can party forever. My ultimate, my ultimate prayer is that God's will will be done and that everyone will be okay with that. Whether that's living for 90 more years, or going to see him very, very soon. The truth is, as a Christian, it doesn't really matter. Because there's no bad option; it's a win-win either way. Quite an amazing guy, quite an amazing story, quite a, quite a witness, and a lot of positive things came from his life, and I know from Darren's life as well. So I don't think too much more needs to be said after a, a sermon from Ben like that. Um, I just wanted to to close with with a song that uh, that was the third element that really spoke to me. I was it was probably in between the. Uh, in between when he died and the funeral and I was, you know, in, in the kitchen feeling pretty pretty lousy. Pretty pretty lousy and uh, really heavy heart. And, you know, the kitchen is where a lot of our activity went on. The juicing, the conversations, the medication, the hope, family gatherings, everything. And um, I just couldn't believe that our, that, part, that part of our story was was over. I missed him so much already. And the reality of never seeing him again alive on earth was, was just starting to th- sink in. And then I heard this song playing faintly in the background in our kitchen on the internet radio station. We often have an internet radio station playing in the back background. Uh, this one was called "Lead me to the rock and uh, so we 're often blessed by these these songs that we hear and uh, of course, at that very time, my emotional state was very thin. God knew my state, and he knew what i needed and and He sent me this this song that had just such perfect words for that exact time um, which, I'd never heard that song before. It was the very first time I heard that song. And, and uh, you know, it was a strong reminder to me, put everything in clear perspective and remember the big eternal picture. And I felt that both God and Darren were together smiling and sending this message to me and that everything was going to be okay, great in fact, and that he couldn't be in any more loving hands. And in light of eternity, we are really only separated now for a short time while we're here on earth and we'll see him again. So I don't know if that song is available. I was going to have it played on YouTube with with the words. If not, I can read the words. I don't know, Stephen, is it? Okay. Well, uh, maybe I'll just read a short portion of it here then because it's really the words that are on the screen that make it. You can maybe look it up later. It's called Live On Forever by The Afters. It says, Dark days are going to go away. They won't have the final say. These bones were always going to fade because we were made for another place. The moment of our final breath, when all our fears are put to rest, every tear will disappear because heaven is real. We're going to live on forever. Breathing air we have never breathed, we'll see colors we've never seen, every sound like a symphony rising up as the angels sing. The arms of grace are open wide, the face of love right before our eyes, where every tear will disappear Heaven is real. We're going to live on forever, forever.
1: All, oh, thanks. Thanks so much, Dave and Terry. Appreciate your courage, your honesty, and openness, and your desire to comfort others with the comfort that you've received. Last week, we shared on the story of Ruth, and this week we're going to just spend a few moments talking about her mother-in-law, Naomi. As we read in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, Naomi returns uh, having left Israel and returns having lost her husband and two sons. And people ask her, Naomi, how are you? How are you holding up? And Naomi responds, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. And I'm bitter against God. not sure if you've been in situations like that, where you've had to walk with folks who've lost deeply and who can say, I'm bitter towards God. It's hard to know how to respond. It's hard to know how to respond when people have suffered significant loss. Our temptation sometimes is to try to relieve the tension by saying something trite. But it's really, really difficult to enter another person's grief and bitterness and to respond with wisdom. And I know the axiom that says, you know, it's better to say nothing at all. Just don't say anything at all. And I, I would agree that often we do need to be slow to speak and quick to be present. There, but there does come a time when the silence has to be broken. That our silence does need to be broken, and our bitterness and grief need to be given the chance to rub up against a God who is entirely comfortable entering those places. One of the names of the Holy Spirit, in fact, is the Comforter. That's one of his roles, that's one of his names, as the Comforter. And as the people of God who are indwelt by the Comforter, we often have a call to bring him with us into the lives of people. Let's have a few thoughts this morning. They're not really connected. There's no alliteration or anything like that. Um, A few thoughts from Naomi's story. The... The... Sources of our grief and our sources of our bitterness are many. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the sense of betrayal from a friend. Or maybe it's um, the loss of a job. Maybe it's it's the circumstances of your life not having worked out. The first thought that I want to have is that as a church, corporately together and personally, we need to provide room for bitterness. We need to provide room for people in their bitterness. And I, I know the pushback that, you, um, if, you, if you know the scriptures well, the pushback you'll have is, but doesn't the New Testament say, rid yourself of all bitterness? And it does. Now, by saying that we need to make room for people in their bitterness, I'm not saying that their bitterness is a good thing. But removing room for it does hinder moving on from it. That removing room for people to express their bitterness is a hindrance to them ultimately moving on from it. Bitterness does not go away by ignoring it. And so while it may be difficult and may be uncomfortable even in our, in our culture, as we've been enculturated to 21st century Canada, it may be very difficult for us to... And uncomfortable for us to be around expressions of grief and mourning that can often sound like bitterness. And so the second thought that I would have is that we do need to take up the invitation to bring our bitterness to God. You see, Naomi is very clear uh, that shes bitter against God. Verse 13 of chapter one, she says, um, not verse 13, verse um, She says that the, the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. Verse 20, she says, "The Almighty has made my life very bitter. The Almighty has made my life very bitter." But what we need to see is that the Scripture is, provides many invitations for you not to suppress your bitterness, not to suppress your grief, not to pretend that it doesn't exist, but not simply just to vent it either, not just to, to spew it everywhere, but the invitation of the Scripture is to bring your grief to God. And to process it in his presence. The Bible has an entire book called Lamentations. The Psalms. There's a whole category of Psalms called Psalms of Lament. Where the psalmist cries out, God, how long must I cry out and you don't answer me? Why do you stand far away from me? Will you forget me forever? Why are you so far from saving me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a book of the scriptures called Job, which tells the story of Job having lost everything in his life. And he says in chapter 23 to God, he says, My complaint is bitter. Now, we don't want to create an institution of cover-up. But also, we do need to call attention to the danger of bitterness. The scriptures are clear that to be bitter against God is a dangerous thing. That the invitation is not just to express our bitterness, not just to express our grief, but to bring it to him. And so the third thought I'd have is that bitterness does need to move to grief. Grief is good. Mourning and weeping is good. But bitterness is not a good thing. Bitterness is not a good thing. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm bitter or if I'm in a healthy process of grief and mourning. And that's where I think there's an honest self-assessment that's needed. A couple of questions maybe you can ask. Do you blame God for your situation, or can you rest in God in your situation? Do you blame God for your situation, or are you resting in him in it? You see, Naomi and Job had the same theology. Naomi says, the Lord has dealt, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She says, the Lord took away my husband and two sons, and I'm bitter. Job said, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says, after... Job said, my complaint is very bitter. It said, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job did not sin with his lips. He rested in his God in worship and in his grief. Now, Naomi, however, says that she's bitter. And we don't despise her for it, but we do want to learn from it and move toward a healthier way in contrast to her bitterness. Another question of self-assessment: Are you are you bitter or are you grieving? First, was do you blame God for your situation or do you rest in God in your situation? Another question which I've learned from uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, who says, when you hear bad news about another person, are you secretly happy about it? If you if you're bitter towards someone, if you feel betrayed maybe by someone, if you've Felt let down. If you then hear good or bad news about that person, is there a sense of, hmm, a little smile inside? Or are you able to pray for their blessing? Are you able to pray for their blessing? Another another self-assessment, has bitterness become your identity? Has bitterness become your identity? Does it define who you are? You see, the, word, the name Naomi means pleasant and sweet. But she says, Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweetie. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Has bitterness become your identity? Again, the situations of our life that cause us disappointment. Are they beginning to define who you are? Don't call me John. Call me the guy who can't catch a break. Don't call me Susie. Call me single. Don't call me Betty. Call me childless. Don't call me Joe. Call me the bad act of product of bad parenting. Don't call me Debbie. Call me sick. Has your bitterness become your identity? It may surprise you that the Bible talks a lot about this and does provide a lot of room to grieve over these things. But the scriptures are clear that Followers of Jesus have an identity that is described as being in Christ. That all that Jesus is and has is now ours. See, the Apostle Paul wants that to be super clear about his life. As he looks back on his past in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 13 and 14, he says, um, "...though I once was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man..." Again, there, his former identity, he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are, and here's our phrase, in Christ. The faith and love that are in Christ. Don't call me a blasphemer. Don't call me a persecutor. Don't call me a violent man. I am in Christ. And now, that he, he, he applies the same things to the good things in his, in his former life as well. He, like many of us, would uh, have been tempted to think of himself uh, positively uh, because of his successes, because of his high achievement, because of his heritage and lineage and family tree. But he says, whatever was to my gain, profit, in Philippians chapter 3, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Don't call me successful. Don't call me uh, religious. Don't call me Jewish. I'm Christian. I am a rightful heir to all that is in the heavenlies because I am in Christ. That's our identity as followers of Jesus. As recipients of God's grace. That's our identity. That's who we are at the deepest level. The last thought. Is that we do need to be aware that of the danger that bitterness can blind us to God's blessings. That bitterness can blind us to the blessings of God that are present in our lives. That's one of the great dangers of bitterness. Verse 11 of Ruth chapter 1, Naomi says, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? What she's talking about here, like we talked about last week, is, the, is this uh, tradition, this law of the kinsman redeemer. And what Naomi is really saying is she's, uh, she's saying, there's no chance for redemption for us. There's no chance for a kinsman redeemer to, for you to get married to, to preserve a line for us. We're going to be destitute. Where, there's, there is no hope for us. There is no opportunity for us. What is she blind to? She's forgetting about Boaz. Remember Boaz? That rock star last week? That Doug Peters-like romantic savior, redeemer, who redeems back Ruth? And Naomi's line provides a son, Obed, who would ultimately be in the line of King David, who would be in the line of Jesus? She's blind to all of that. Her bitterness has blinded her to God's blessing. She says, I went away full and I've returned to empty. She went away because of a famine and is returning because bread is back in Bethlehem. She's blind to the blessings of God. John Piper uh, commenting on this passage says, when we've decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter that we can't see the rays of light peeping out around the clouds. And so is it possible that your bitterness may be keeping others from experiencing God's blessings? You see, bitterness always has fruit in your life and in the lives of others around Think of of those who get bitter at church and then leave. Leave the community of God's people. Leave the the community that gathers under the word and the gospel. The the worshiping community. They have children who grow up outside of that. And are ignorant of God's grace. Unaware totally of it. I get bitterness at church. I work for a church. I get it. (laughs) But your bitterness always has effects on others. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and that will defile many. You see, your bitterness can cause many to miss the grace of God. Your bitterness can defile many. Your bitterness can defile many and miss, cause them to miss the grace of God. Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the gospel. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you freely. This gospel motivation to rid ourselves of bitterness. You see, God responds to Naomi, to this bitter woman. God responds with grace and favor and kindness. It was God who broke the famine and opened a way for them to come home. It was God who preserved a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi's line. It was God who moved and worked in Ruth. And caused her to say, Your people will be my people, your God will be my God, I'm coming with you. And finally, it was the grace of kindness of God that broke into bitter Naomi's life and caused her to say in chapter 2, verse 20, that speaking of the Lord, that he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She says, The Lord bless him, bless Boaz. The Lord has not stopped showing kindness. You see, this bitter woman was able to break through into grief, into mourning, into an acknowledgement of God's kindness and grace. And how does the book of Ruth end? Do you remember? How does the book of Ruth end? How does Naomi's story in the scripture end? It ends with a baby. Chapter 4, 16, Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. This baby is in the line to David, who is in the line to Jesus. This bitterness is ultimately broken by a baby. You know what's interesting about the birth of Jesus? What's his mom's name? Skill testing question. What's the mom's name of Jesus? Mary, do you know where that comes from? Mara. Bitter. Bitterness. This baby who has come to take away our bitterness. And he did it by entering our bitterness and taking it on himself. You see, in the story of the scripture, again, we want to place these little stories in the big story of the Bible and find our place there. We find Jesus, the baby born to the woman whose name means bitter, who entered our story and took on our bitterness Who took on the penalty for our blaming of God. Our bitterness towards him. Our sin towards him. And he entered that and took it for us. To lead us to a place of healing. To lead us so that we can forgive each other. And not be bitter at each other. As God in Christ has forgiven us. Who is... Secured for us hope of eternal life. So, in the midst of the loss of loved ones, we can have hope and peace that passes understanding. So, who's the hero of the story of Ruth? Boaz. Boaz is the hero. And Boaz points us to Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who's taken our bitterness on himself. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray for men and women and boys and girls in here who, in this room, who may be struggling. And if they're honest with themselves today, they might say, I'm bitter. I'm bitter at you. I'm bitter for the betrayal I felt. I'm bitter at the loss that I felt. And others, Lord, are mourning. They're mourning loss of relationships, they're mourning loss of loved ones and lives, they're mourning uh, a dream of a preferred future that has not transpired yet. And so, Father, we, as a church community, cry out to you. And we want to. We don't want to stuff our feelings, we don't want to deny them, but we don't want to just vent them either. We want to bring them to you and process them in light of your great story of grace and kindness to us. And we want to find healing and comfort from you, the comforter. So come and meet us. And in these moments of connection time now, Father, I pray that we would bring comfort to one another, that we would bring the promised Holy Spirit to each other and speak your words to each other, embrace and show love and kindness and extend forgiveness to one another. And as we respond in worship, Father, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would bring healing and bring new joy into our spirits as we look to you. In Jesus' name.